Hi, my name is John. I'm Michelle. I'm Amanda. And we founded Uplift Kids together. Today we're talking about practice. It's this week's featured lesson. And in the opening activity of this lesson, we have a story about Joe DiMaggio. One day, a journalist interviewed DiMaggio at his home and asked him how it felt to be a natural hitter. Rather than answer the question immediately, DiMaggio invited the journalist to his basement where he picked up a bat and started a lengthy series of practice swings, calling out a variety of pitches and adjusting his swing as needed for each pitch. After he finished the exercise, DiMaggio picked up a piece of chalk and made a mark on the wall. It was only then that the journalist noticed that the wall was covered in an enormous tally of marks, indicating that he did this exercise frequently. As the story goes, DiMaggio turned to the journalist and said, don't you ever tell me that I'm a natural hitter again. So the story emphasizes that DiMaggio had a habit of deliberate practice and that practice over and over again made DiMaggio the baseball player that he was. That's just one example of many. We'd like to talk about the science of practice as well as other examples. Michelle, where would you like to start? Yeah, this experience of Joe DiMaggio, it's like he's able to do this because he knows what it feels like to get really good at something. And that's really important for kids, for all of us to really experience that sensation in our bodies of, I just did something that was so hard, that took so much practice, and I was able to do it. And there's a video in the lesson, I hope you all go and watch it, where this kid learns to ride a bike. He's just really young. I don't know, maybe he's four or five. And he finally gets it and his dad is filming him and he says, what do you, what do you want to say? And he's like, he doesn't even have the words yet to say it. He says something like, I feel happy of myself. You know, it's like he doesn't even know how to say, like, I have this feeling inside where I'm so excited. I did something that was really hard. So um, it's like getting your kids to have that sensation of experiencing something hard and getting good at it. And so then there's the question like, okay, how do we motivate our kids to do the thing that's hard? What can we do as parents? And there's four things that there's an article in the lesson it links to, this article that has four specific things that we can do. And the first one is to let kids struggle. Like often as parents, it's really difficult when we see them doing something that's hard for them, we want to get in there and help them. It, it says to don't jump in the moment that something's hard for them. Actually, just normalize that failure is just part of learning. You could say something like, oh, that looks really hard. I know you can do this. Oh, you can try again. So just normalizing that struggle is there and resisting our own anxiety to want to help them. The second thing is to share our own struggles in a positive way. So this one sounds something like, you know, if every day we come home from work and we're like, Oh, this sucks. I hate that. It's so hard. I hate work. It's, you know, we're like really talking negatively about the things that are hard for us. They pick up on that. So instead saying things like, this is really hard, but I know I can figure something out. This is really hard, but I'm, there's a choice I can make here. So using that kind of language. The third is if the frustration gets too big, then rather than jumping in to do the thing for them or to help them with the thing, help them regulate their own emotions. So you can say something like, I know it's really uncomfortable, but that's actually really a good sign 
because you're learning something new. This makes us feel really uncomfortable, but you can take a deep breath and try again. So it can help them with that. And then the fourth is to notice what they're drawn to and to help them learn to practice that thing. So an example is you might really want your kid to learn to play the piano, but they might be really interested in drawing. So you're kind of in this struggle of, okay, well, I want them to learn this thing. Should I make them do it? You might need to, and we can talk more about like that struggle, but you might want to look for what they're already interested in so that they can learn that moment. Like this kid, like, I feel happy of myself. You might be forcing them to play the piano, but in their room, they're already naturally doing the process of drawing the same thing a thousand times until they get it just right. And they have that experience of, oh, this is what I wanted it to look like. So wonderful. Amanda, how have you managed practice in your own home? As Michelle was talking, it made me think about the ways that I've actually struggled with negotiating practice with my kids from when they were little up and through like adolescence. The agreement we always had in the home is if you want to do an activity and you sign up and you commit for a period of time, during that period of time, there's no negotiation. That's your commitment. You have to see it through. But whatever that sign-up period is over or that session is over, you're free to either carry on with that activity or let it go. Then it becomes the child's choice. So it's all, it's all the kid's choice to commit to it, and then but to let it go once their commitment time is over. And my kids that are now young adults have actually reflected back that they didn't find that 100% supportive. They've said, oh, mom, why didn't you push me to stay with that even longer? I wish I would have stayed with the guitar or I wish I would have stayed with some other activity and really pushed through that. So all of that to say, it's such a delicate dance and there's no one way. There's no one answer. I was really resisting this urge to push my kids into something that maybe they weren't intrinsically drawn to. But in hindsight, they wanted a little bit of a push, a little bit of motivation to get through a lull they were experiencing in their practice when it got really hard. This is just one of those areas that I struggled as a parent to get it just right. Yeah, I don't know if there's a way to win at this as a parent. <laughs> Because it's like, why are you pushing me more? And it's like, because you complained 12 dozen times. You know, it's like, that was the reason. Like, I got exhausted. You went out. All your complaining went out. But it can be helpful to hear an experience like you're sharing where uh, as a young adult, they are like, yeah, you should have pushed me more. And so you can keep that voice in mind. If you also sense like, I think they could go a little stronger at this, but there's no way to do it perfectly. <laughs> Yeah. And maybe one of the ways to question how we're approaching it is when we are pushing our kids to stick with something, to stay with the hard thing, to ask ourselves, are we doing this for us, for our own identity, for our own sense of security or to ease anxiety in ourselves? Or is it for our child? Yeah, it's a super good question. I love that we're actually talking about the real life complexity because it's easy to say, okay, if I do step one, two, three, and four, then I'm really going to be able to teach my kids how to practice. 
But the reality is, yeah, sometimes it might be the situation where you're like, oh, they're drawn to art. They're not drawn to the piano. Sometimes it's the situation where, like you said, Amanda, like actually staying with it is better. There isn't one way. And sometimes we're just going to get it wrong. That's part of being a parent. So I love that this is more about being aware of how we're approaching it than one specific thing that we should do. I'm thinking of a story of a student I worked with, and I've mentioned this before, but the students I tended to work with, everything associated with school was often difficult and required a lot of practice and explicit practice. Things that came naturally to other kids, just they needed scaffolding and reinforcement and again and again. And I'm remembering a really young student I worked with that even at a really early age, like six years old, he had just ingrained negative self-talk that was really harmful that would come up for him. In sessions, we worked on identifying when that harmful self-talk would come up. Just really mean thoughts like, nobody likes me. I hate myself and just really hurtful things. And so we used a, a practice, red thoughts, green thoughts, where red thoughts are thoughts that are hurtful and green thoughts are thoughts that actually help us. And it was months and months of working on this. And he wasn't experiencing a lot of change. We weren't seeing a lot of change in the classroom. And I was questioning, do we need to switch gears? Is this even helping? And then it wasn't for several months until the teacher in the classroom started to say, oh, he's using the language of red thoughts, green thoughts. In the moment, he's starting to see how his thoughts are impacting him. And then after that, at home, that language started to come up. And when it came up, his teacher was able to reinforce it. His mom was able to comment, oh, I notice you're noticing when you're having red thoughts. That's great. Let's talk through it. Practice takes time. It takes a lot of time to develop and there's going to be lows and there's going to be highs, but it's just a reminder that it's sometimes not a linear process and it's a long and sometimes arduous thing. Now, what you're describing really reminds me of, we think of practice often as specific actions that we're taking, but what you're describing really is focused on our thought patterns. We can practice in order to have different thought patterns. And the science behind that is really like the synapses in our brains make specific connections, like neural pathways. And these neural pathways are, they're really strong. And to create a new neural pathway takes practice. And an analogy I use, like I work with a lot of couples and there's this really interesting thing that will happen where our relationships are often a source of stress in our lives. So if we want that stress to go away, we need to change our behavior. And often when couples come in, they want the other person to change their behavior, but they'll have an insight where they have this sudden awareness, oh, this thing that I am doing is actually creating stress in my life and stress in my relationships. And so they'll have this great insight. And then a few weeks later, they'll come back and they'll be frustrated because they're doing that old behavior again after they've had this incredible insight. But it's because the neural pathway in their brain, it's really well-worn. So these pathways are almost like if you're hiking along the forest, a really thick forest, then if you stay on the path, you'll do that hike so much quicker, so much faster, it's so much more efficient. 
The same thing happens with our behaviors. We're like, that old behavior that really worked for me, that pathway was really well-worn. But what they're doing is they're hacking a totally new trail. And that takes a lot of practice and effort and it's hard work. So instead of getting uh, ashamed of ourselves, like, why am I doing that thing? I know it makes my life more difficult. Rather to say like, oh, I'm building a new pathway and building a new practice in my behavior. So the same way we can learn the piano or learn to play the guitar, we do the same exact thing with our behavior. And we have the insight, the awareness, and then it takes time, like having the patience and the kindness towards ourselves to say, this is really hard work. I'm creating a new behavior here. So wonderful. That concept reminds me of one quote from our What the Science Says section of the lesson. It's from Zaretta Hammond, an educator, and it says the old adage we usually hear is that practice makes perfect. Based on what we now know about neuroplasticity and deliberate practice, we should rephrase that to read practice makes permanent. And so this lesson is an opportunity for families to say, like, what do we want to improve and what paths do we want to create in our lives? And as we've talked about, it can start with just practicing new ways of thought, meaning red thought and green thought, and having more green thoughts in our lives. And it can also be practice that is very physical, like the example of Joe DiMaggio, or practicing an instrument or learning to do art. In either case, it's the same concept where we just return to something over and over again so that it, the habits that we want to be permanent can be permanent in our lives and we can move through life with greater ease. So that's it for today. As always, if you appreciate this podcast, we'd love to have you leave a review and go ahead and check out this lesson on practice so that you can have a conversation in the home about what each person wants to practice and how they can stick with it so that they can look back fondly with the amount of effort that they put into the things that they want to put into. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day.